Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. So, the Utah Jazz lose again. And it's the Houston Rockets, the worst team in the West, with only six road wins all year. They come in and beat the Jazz 116-111. It was a weird game. The Jazz were behind 36-27 after one quarter. Usually I'd be tweeting out stuff about how horrific it is to give up 36 points in a quarter. And i got to say, even though that's a huge total, and even though the Jazz did give up threes that foreshadowed what would bury them later in the game, it didn't feel that bad, to be honest. Houston was shooting 58% from three. It felt unsustainable. The Jazz were shooting about 25% from three, something like that, which also felt unsustainable. The lead was nine. I thought it was totally doable. And sure enough, the Jazz were back in front by the end of the half. They're up five. Although, in another bit of foreshadowing, they could have been up seven, but they gave up a dunk and just the Red Sea parted. Eric Gordon, I think it was Eric Gordon, went right down the middle for the dunk at the end of the half with two seconds left. But they came out in the third quarter, which is often where Jazz put teams away, and they pushed the lead to 13 on a Mike Conley three with seven minutes to go, 7-1 to go. And then they didn't score for five and a half minutes. Five and a half minutes. They ended up with a 19-point third quarter. That will get you beat. The offense sunk them in the third quarter. And having said that, they started the battle in the fourth, and then the defense fell apart and sunk them. Third quarter, they started hitting shots. They scored 30 points. Or excuse me, in the fourth quarter, they scored 30 points, but they gave up 33. And then again, too many open threes, too many uncontested shots, too many layups and dunks. It was just, it was a mess. And so the Rockets beat the Jazz 116-111. The Jazz, since the first of the year, are now 3-7. and seven. They were 26-9 and nine at the end of 2021. And we all thought that was a crappy year and we wanted it to go away. And it did go away, and 2022 has dawned, and... It's been horrible for the Jazz. Three and seven in the last ten games. Now, they lost to the Warriors on New Year's Day. Won a couple of games. And boy, since then, they've lost six out of seven. Now, Rudy missed four of those games. And Donovan missed one. And apparently, he played the second half of another game with a concussion. And so, certainly, if you have those guys, you can cover up some of your mistakes. But as you're about to hear in the Jazz postgame show later this hour, there were a lot of mistakes. There were too many open shots, too many shooters just roaming around free, uncontested shots for the Rockets, and they're not good. As a matter of fact, they're lousy. But if you give NBA players uncontested shots, they're liable to make them. I've said this before. I've played in pickup games with guys who play D1 college basketball, and they are light years better than everybody else in the gym. It is phenomenal how much bigger they are, how much faster they are, how much more talent they have, how good they are. And those are college guys who cannot begin to sniff the NBA. So if you just start giving up wide open shots, NBA guys are going to make them, especially in this era. This isn't the 90s where guys are prized for their defense and they can't shoot a lick and you got guys in the league, you know, shooting 45% of the free throw line, but starting in the NBA anyway. Rockets got open shots. Rockets made them Jazz lose. Until the Jazz change that, they're going to get beat. They shouldn't be having 19-point quarters against the worst team in the league defensively, a team that's literally got the 30th best defensive rating in a 30-team league. But apparently these lessons have to be learned over and over and over. And now you're saying, well, is there any guarantee they've been learned now? The only answer to that is no. (laughs) There are no guarantees. You thought maybe losing Detroit 
would have been rock bottom, and they learned, and then they battled back. Didn't happen. Lots of things to question. You got to question everything at a time like this. And coming up at 7.30, we always do hot takes or toast. Got the question of the day. How do you explain this away? Make sense of this? People are hitting us up on Facebook, DJ and PK. On Twitter, David DJ James. And it's all over. They're blaming the front office. They're blaming the coach. They're blaming the players. And to be fair, when it gets this bad and have this much talent and to be this good and to go 3-7 and seven against these teams, yeah, that's bad. I mean, some of them I can just write off. Going to Toronto, you didn't take your teams. It's a COVID year. It's weird. Whatever. I, they barely even count that game. But at Detroit, home to Houston, I'm struggling with those. I don't care if Donovan didn't play last night. I don't care if Rudy didn't play in Detroit. And I know both those things are true. There's still enough talent to win. This team has completely stunk it up for almost three weeks now. And they still have the fourth best record in the NBA. You can't tell me this team isn't good and doesn't have talent. Are they good right now? No. Have the last 10 games sucked? Absolutely. But how do you suck this bad for this long and have this string of losses to the bottom quarter of the league? I mean, you lost to the Rockets. You lost to the Magic. You lost to the Pistons. You lost to the Pacers twice. You lost to the Pelicans. Those are some bad teams that aren't even, not only not going to sniff a 16-team playoff, they broadened it out now with this playing thing to 20 teams, and they're not going to sniff that. Those are bad teams. And yet, the Jazz have the fourth best record in the NBA. For now, I realize that may change. They got Golden State coming up. They got Phoenix twice. Yeah, it gets real in the next week. Yikes. They got Detroit Friday to try and figure this out, and then it's on with uh, Golden State on the road on Sunday. And Phoenix on the road Monday and back home next Wednesday to face Phoenix. All right, DJ and PK, we're going to take a break right now. Coming up. Dennis Dodd, CBS Sports, PK and I talking with him. He's got a story about the Big 12 breaking into divisions. Where does he think TV contracts are going? You know, the Big 10 and the SEC are in a great place. The Big 12 has problems. The Pac-12 definitely has problems. And we don't talk about it as much on this side of the country, but the ACC has problems. Dennis Dodds, which league? Which league has the problems that are the hardest to solve, that are the biggest roadblocks to improving going forward? And which has problems, but... You wouldn't mind those problems because they're fixable or they're short-term or they're not that big. We'll talk with Dennis about that coming up. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Time to welcome Dennis Dodds from CBS Sports back back on the air. And Dennis, you wrote a story that you knew would get attention in Utah because you know how BYU fans are and they are super excited about the Big 12. And you wrote about the impending decision to form divisions. Uh, why don't you recap uh, what you know and uh, how this process is going along? Well, this is the assumption, you know, it's talk to the assumption that Texas and Oklahoma are going to stay throughout the term of the Big 12 contract with the 24 football 24-25 basketball. And it starts with the assumption that those, those four schools, including BYU, are going to come into the 23 season. They're going to have to accommodate what the league looks like. And at that point, it would be 14 teams for two years before that contract ends. And NCAA rules stipulate that you have to have um, any, any league above 12 teams have to split into divisions. And so that's what the active discussions are about. What does it look like competitively? What does the schedule look like in those two years? I mean, we've got some monster programs that are going to be impacted in playing playoff thirds and conference titles and everything else. And BYU dipping its toe in the water in that situation. So 
that's where they are right now. We may have some finality by May at the uh, at the Big Twelve Spring Meeting in Scottsdale, but it's actually being talked about right now. Dennis, you've been in our market many times over. I've seen you around, obviously, and so you understand the passion of BYU-Utah as if you almost lived here like we do. And so now, going forward in sports radio, we're going to love it because it's going to be an it's already an endless battle, BYU versus Utah. Now it's going to be an endless battle between the Pac-12 and the Big 12, as you can imagine, which conference is better, you know, and we're going to have fun with it and horse around with it and talk radio. It's what we do. You know that full well. But my thought for you, and I'm a Pac-12 guy, went to ASU and all that, and this has been my conference since I was a teenager. But as I look at this new Big 12, when it comes time for Texas and Oklahoma to leave, I like the conference. And if you compare it to the Pac-12, I think it compares favorably. How do you see it? Yeah, I think a couple of thoughts. Um, you know, you're going to need one team or two teams to be dominant, which the Pac-12 hasn't had. Uh, it's been 18 years since the national championship, whatever, five or six since the CFP. Everybody in the league loses two games a year at least, which takes you out of the CFP. That's the issue I have with the Big 12 going forward. It's not to say you can't have one or two dominant teams. Let, let's just say they're BYU and Cincinnati. Um, as things stand right now, Oklahoma State, would be, have to be in the conversation among those 12 um, in terms of putting resources into football. The advantage for the Big 12 going forward in that it doesn't become a Pac-12 is because in an expanded playoff, if we ever get there, you're only going to have to be 11-2 and two, uh, to get in. Uh, in the way, as proposed, you've got the top six-ranked conference champions and then six at large. The advantage for any of it uh, is that you don't have to go 12-1 and one or undefeated anymore. Notre Dame doesn't have to go undefeated, which is really the case in a 14 playoff. So if you've got the schedule, you know, if you won the league, or you know, even if you hadn't, in the case of the SEC, which is going to have a say in this, you're going to have a really good shot with, uh, with two losses, depending on who you play. Obviously, the SEC is the strongest league, and the Big Ten's in a great spot. The ACC, the Big 12, and the Pac-12 all have problems. They have different problems, but they all have problems. Which problems would you most like to have, either because the problems aren't as big or the problems are more easily solved? Uh, ACC, Big 12, and, and who else? Pac-12. Pac-12, obviously, yeah. Um you know what? That's a great question because by any measure, it's going to be a diminished Big 12. Uh, when you lose Oklahoma and Texas, you don't get stronger. Uh, ACC has the worst uh, TV contract right now, by far, actually, and, it, and they're locked into 2036. That's going to have a cumulative effect on competitive value. And, and the Pac-12 is what it is. I mean, how many conferences – have their commissioner come out a couple of weeks ago, and I'm sure you guys saw this, uh-huh. basically broke it down by saying we're undersizing both lines. <laughs> and and he's going to go into the president's uh, Kliatkoff and tell them we need to spend on facilities and resources and get football better. How's that going to go over at Cal or Stanford? I'm just saying. Um, so, uh, you know, I think traditionally, again, because um, – you know, the resources are maybe there. Uh, the Big 12 might have the least of the problems. Now, 
for those for those four schools coming in, the revenue is going to be a windfall. For the eight existing, they're going to have to tighten the belt. Um, you know, can you compete competitively for coaching salaries, everything else, making twenty million dollars a year for school? Which I, I'm just kind of I kind of landed on that figure. Um, having talked to people in the last year of the Big 12 contract, the average will be 44 million per school because that deals are backloaded. Um, but I, I think it'll be really interesting to see what that's worth to um, to the networks, the rifles. Do you see? We've heard rumors of the Big Twelve not settling. Uh, have you heard anything as far as maybe them continuing? You know, we've heard the Arizona schools might be interested, whomever it might be. Yeah, I mean, I've written that all that stuff. I mean, at the time when they added these four schools, it was hinted at that they're not done. I would say, in the big picture, college football is not done. I keep hearing another round of realignment is coming, some consolidation of schools, and that all comes down to the to the SEC um, now aligning the best number of brands in under one tent since Procter and Gamble. I mean, think about this. I'm not talking about college football. I'm talking about all sports. Um, maybe this side of the NFL, but they have the best athletic football playing brands all of themselves. Georgia, Alabama, Oklahoma, Texas, LSU, Florida, um, and I, I haven't gotten through half the league yet. Uh, those are the top ones. So, you know, the, the closer conferences can get to that, whether it's adding, um, yes, the Arizona schools, I think, would be in play. I think there's a decision to be made there by USC if this downturn continues in the Pac-12, whether it wants to go to uh, independence or not. Um, does the Pac-12 try to fortify itself by reaching back out east? Is the Big Ten going to stay how they are? They're pretty darn you know strong right now. Uh, and then, and then, like initially, you heard Memphis, Boise for the Big 12. Do they do that and just try to line up as many schools as they can and grow to 14 like everybody else? Is? At that point, it would be ACC, SEC, Big Ten. Um, Big 12, and then it's the Pac-12 at a disadvantage by staying at 12. I don't know. Dennis Dodds joining us. CBS Sports got a story out about the Big 12 looking to uh, align into divisions, and it took a long time, I think, for people to get used to 12-team leagues. As you point out, 14 could be the new normal. But when you say the SEC is at 16 and they've got brands that are not done yet, you know, a long time ago, Jackie Sherrill said four 20-team leagues – Everybody's in 10-team divisions. It's essentially yeah. a league for scheduling purposes. Your conference title game essentially becomes a national quarterfinal. Is he going to end up being right? Yeah, I don't know if we're there yet. I mean, a lot of that's been put out there, like what if the SEC just decides to get 30 or 35 schools and call it a day? Uh-huh. You know, we'll have our own plans. Everything else is meaningless anyway. You know, the, one of these 30 schools are the best each year, so... Um, you know, is there some dissatisfaction with what I just mentioned in the ACC with their payout with the likes of Clemson, Florida State, and Miami? I think that bears watching. So that could be the next move, either by those schools to, to call the SEC or, or vice versa. So, yeah, I, I think it could happen. I think it's going to be a period of years because I think that, that that's a big one to watch in the ACC. There's no way they can grow in terms of revenue 
um, without adding Notre Dame. And there's absolutely no projection that that's going to happen. One of the things Klyakov said at the Pac-12 uh, title game before when he held his little press conference downstairs was that he would be interested in potentially keeping the divisions but not necessarily be tied to the winner of the North and the South playing each other and going with the two best teams, if it so happens to be, that they're in the same division. Uh, I'm wondering if you think the Big 12 would be interested in that. Have you heard any movement as far as that taking place going forward throughout college football? Well, that's the issue. You, uh, you know, with that story I wrote yesterday, you have to get a waiver from the NCAA. Right. Uh, to do that, because it will state that 12 and above, you have to split into divisions. But since we're not going to deregulate college athletics this year, what is the NCAA? What do they have to do with it? You know, you could you just say, we're going to do it. You're going to stop us? I mean, look what's happened with NIL and, uh, and the transfer portal. Um, you know, the thing is running itself. So, yeah, I think that would be a – I've long said that more teams, more conferences should do that to enhance their access to the playoffs. The Big 12 has done it. They can now with 10 teams. I think the Americans have done it. I'm pretty sure the Americans have done it as well. So, yeah, I, I think Klafkoff is seeing into the future where no matter how many teams you have, you just go to one 12-team division. And, and look, the, the members are going to be making the rules anyway, so they can just say, you know, forget it. Now, I, I don't think there'd be any pushback against changing that rule where I think that would be more advantageous where your best teams are playing each other. It it absolutely hurt the Big 12 this year, but the two, the two best teams were playing. Oklahoma State was within three yards and some horrible play calling inside the five-yard line of beating Baylor and going to the playoffs. Um, you know, that's on them, but they were right there. And Baylor had a fantastic season, maybe the best it's ever had. Dennis Dodds joining us, CBS Sports, CBSSports.com. So... Klavkov came on our show, and he was very generous with his time, and I thought he was really open with his answers. Of course, we were asking him stuff, and he wanted to weigh in on some of those issues, so it made it a little easier. At the end of the half hour, and he spent a half hour with us, and at the end of the half hour, he was talking about the playoff, and he said, and it was so ominous, and he said it without any... any fire? It wasn't. It wasn't something where I'm threatening people and I'm banging the tables. None of that. It was in a very matter of fact. He said, "Well, right now it ta- requires a unanimous vote, but in a few years it won't." I'm paraphrasing, but in a few years it won't. And at that point, you have to decide if you want to be on board or if people are just going to go without you. And it made me think that in these meetings right now, they're reasonably close to having a an expanded playoff, and the people were really dragging their heels. They don't dare get left behind. I mean, it just sounded like just brutal power politics. Like, you're kind of ticking me off, and i got to put up with you now. And a Pac-12 commissioner isn't in a place to throw his weight around all by himself. So I think there's a coalition of people who think like he thinks. Is it really going to get that vicious, or will everyone fall in line at the end of the day? I think everyone will fall in line. The only thing I would say is I think this thing now is pretty certain that it's going to go four more years. Uh, because of everything we're talking about, uh, the ACC, Rose Bowl, everything. It's too much to get over right now in the context of the NCA reshaping itself. That's basically what the ACC is saying. And so at the end of the, at the, end of the day, in four years, all you were, do you think Jim Phillips is really going to keep the ACC out? You know, in other words, those four other power fives can say, here's how it's going to look 
uh, hey, group of five, you know, you don't have any say in it anyway, so here's what we're going to do. And the ACC is going to step on principle. No, they'll come around. Um, but it's going to be four years. And, and if they don't, look, we'll stay at four. Um, Greg Sankey has said that. Uh, you know, I, I think at that point the pressure would be on the president, obviously, of the ACC. But you can stand on principle all you want. But this is a multi-billion-dollar operation that's going to be a lot of money for this conference and fix many of the woes you're talking about. I, I don't. I don't deny. Uh, or give short shrift to anything the ACC has done. I, I think them standing on principle is uh, is noble. Uh, if, you know, as college athletics goes forward, you've got to have some sort of shred, you know, connection to education, and that's wearing away, as you guys would admit, day by day. Um, if we end up paying players, then what have we got? Uh, I think it's coming to that. But you're still going to have that shred that connects with the education, and maybe that's what the ACC is standing for. So would the Big 12 and Pac-12 then, would they be to the point of basically desperately needing an expanded playoff? Well, in any situation, this benefits the Pac-12 and Big 12 and everybody in Notre Dame, actually. That's why they signed off on it, because it's more access. It triples the field. It goes from 3% of FBS to 9%. Probably still too little, but, you know, player safety, you can't play games all, all fall. Um, no, it's, it's great. Um, if the SEC has the most teams in, that's great. You know, they, that's probably what's going to happen. But in, in some sense, it's going to give automatic access to a team um, or, or some sort of access to a team in the Pac-12, which they've lost for the last six, six years. Um, I think the Big 12 has been in it four four times out of eight. I'm not sure. Um, but anybody is going to be in a group of five. You can legitimately recruit at Appalachian State in Louisiana and say you can play for national championship here, or at least be in the playoffs. It's, it's a win-win for everybody. The other discussion that we just talked about, the ACC, too many games. Um, the NCAA is in upheaval. What are we doing? Let's wait before that settles. But for everybody, it's more access. It makes total sense. So apparently America will watch bad football and lopsided games. The NFL expanded the playoffs, and man, the two seats crushed the seven seats. But but people are going to watch Patrick Mahomes and Tom Brady, even if they're winning in blowouts. So the NFL makes more money. And so I guess the same thing applies to college football, where the semifinals have been blowouts. So naturally, Alabama and Georgia, I assume they would have won their quarterfinal games in blowouts. But the competition really isn't the thing, is it? We're just going to stop down and millions of people will watch football and people will get paid and that's all there is to it. Well, the ratings for the college football playoff has declined steadily since year one. I think I think the championship game this year was a 45% decline from year one. And you better believe those people that run that are watching that. So I can't um, claim that the ratings will necessarily go up, especially for the early round games. But you're going to have what you just saw in the NFL, these seven seeds getting wiped out. Um, but there's a larger discussion to be had here. And Bob Bolsey made a great point, I think in September, when this all came about, that starting November 1st, you're going to have about 35 or 40 teams um, in September, I'm sorry, 35 or 40 teams with a realistic shot at the playoff. 
um, on November 1st, it'll be 20 or 30 instead of about six or four we're talking about right now. And that's going to help everybody. The rights holders, competitive balance, um, more interest in the game, attendance. I really think that's going to happen. I don't think it's going to take away from the regular season. I think it's going to enhance it. And the bowls are the bowls. We've seen the, the bowls below that are fodder right now. Anyway, the last two years they've canceled for COVID and various reasons. Um, they're programming. Uh, ESPN owns them. I think 39 of the 41 outside the CSP. And it's programming. And I, I think a bunch, the overwhelming majority of them did a million viewers, which is great for advertising. And so they're not going anywhere. You may not, they may be increasingly irrelevant, but not as background noise during the holidays, which when advertisers sell a lot of products, so they, they're still going to be there. When the Big 12 gets set and the two teams leave, how competitive do you think their TV contract would be in terms of individual schools and the money that they will receive? In terms of overall or per school? Because we're talking per, yeah, about yeah, per months. school. Per yeah. school. I'm just wondering how much do you think BYU is going to be in for uh, when they get going and uh, the other two schools take off and, and it's everything. Um, well, as I just mentioned, yeah, the number I'm working with now in the new deal that I've been told is operating at $20 million per school. And so that would put them at the bottom right, right. there with uh, right there at the ACC. The Pac-12 is going to get a new deal, so they're going to get more money in whatever sense that means. They're just going to because it's been a 12-year deal, and the market shifted dramatically. They're going to get more money. Um, right. The Big 12 is going forward with 12 teams that are that are less than what they have than they have right now. So, right. uh, yeah, I, th- I, think I think they'll be towards the bottom of that. And so then my, my follow-up that I wanted to get to was uh, how much of a disadvantage do you think that is going to be in terms of other conference peer competition that the, others, the, the amount of money that the other schools are getting? Uh, they're going to be behind. But, again, you have to balance that with access to the playoff. Um, the fact that the SEC is getting stronger every day, no matter how much money they get. Uh, I think the, the Big 12 has done something brilliant. They knew they couldn't do a network, so they've gone to the ESPN Plus, which is essentially their network. They're getting revenue out of that. And look, it's whatever the Big 12 does, whatever the Pac-12 does, whatever the ACC does, they're always going to be behind the Big 10 and the SEC. Yeah. So at that point, we're just having a discussion over who's three, three through five. Um, right. You know, unless unless this whole model blows up and somebody takes thirty teams or something like that. So what you do with it, um, how you maximize it, is going to be different from conference to conference. The thing that that makes it more equal is this playoff, which gets you access where you can hang that shingle. Say, not only are we SBS, not only are we Power Five. We're a playoff participant. You can come here. And even something as simple as that affects everything from enrollment to research grants to ability to, to lure um, faculty. Uh, that's why a lot of this is so important. So going forward with access becoming more important with the SEC having so many brand name programs and, and looking like such a difficult league to compete and win in and the schools in the SEC being, being willing to fire coaches who've won national championships two years later are more coaches. And I'm curious what they will tell you or hint at privately. 
not what they'll say into a microphone. Are more coaches on the Brian Kelly path where get me to the SEC, pay me, and I will figure it out, and I will bet on me? Or are more coaches on the Lincoln-Riley path like, what do I need to stay at Oklahoma and go to the SEC for? This SC thing looks awfully good. I like the way the Pac-12 looks. Let's do that. Uh, two different situations, and you have to understand there are only finite number of jobs in each league. You know, when you say more coaches, yeah, I'll just go to the SEC. So I'll just go to Pac-12 as an easier path. I think the bigger story is for the Pac-12, the three biggest programs in that league have all changed coaches. Yeah. And there's, you know, there's pressure on on those three coaches to, to save the league, particularly Lincoln Riley. Um, you know, Brian Kelly's, I think, is a one-off because he's sort of a third choice there. I, I, it was a surprise. I think he can't win. He's the winning coach at Notre Dame. Um, is it a better access for him there? Yes, it is. The Notre Dame. You have to go undefeated at Notre Dame every year at Finn Stand right now to get in the playoff virtually. Uh, you, you can get to the playoff easier at the S, in the SEC going forward. Uh, and I think this plays into what Texas and Oklahoma thought when they went there. Obviously, it's the best conference. Is okay, if you're 10 and 3 in the Big 12, it's going to be harder to get in the playoff than it would be at, in the SEC. You see what I'm saying? Um, big picture. So, no, I don't think there's some sort of trend here. I think the trend was that there were, um, I think the trend was early signing day. Uh, you had, what is it now, 30, it's 29 or 30 openings. And Hawaii is open now. I think that's either 29th or 30th. Um, and that had nothing to do with early signing day, but a lot, half of the jobs before that did. Um, in 99 days, 28 jobs opened. That's crazy. And a lot of that was because of the early signing day. Dennis, we appreciate the time as always. Thanks for joining us, and uh, we'll keep reading you at cbssports.com. All right, thanks, guys. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. This is Dennis Dodd, CBS Sports. You can read him at cbssports.com. Good story and uh, real interesting what the Big 12 might do with these divisions. When we come back, the best of the postgame show. Stay with us. Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. It's time for the best of the Jazz postgame show as they lose at home to the Houston Rockets, the last place team in the West. Here's the best of the postgame show. Your Jazz recap here on DJ and PK on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Tough loss last night for the Utah Jazz. They lose to the Rockets 116 uh, to 111 at home. Of course, the Jazz did not have Rudy Gay, Hassan Whiteside, or Donovan Mitchell, but still lose to the last place team in the Western Conference. Uh, certainly a tough loss uh, for the Utah Jazz. Uh, they were led by Boyan Bogdanovich, who finished the game with uh, team-high 29 points on 11-27 shooting, 3 of 13 from 3. 23 points and 9 boards from Rudy Gobert. He also had 4 assists and a couple of blocks. Clarkson with 19 coming off the bench. Conley with 17. Joe Ingles with 10. He also had 6 assists and 5 rebounds. Royce O'Neal, only 3 points, but have 15 boards and 5 assists, a couple of steals for Royce as well, but uh, the Jazz come up short. They lose 116-111. to 111. Let's get some post-game sound for you. Let's start things off with Jazz head coach Quinn Snyder. What was the biggest issue that you saw tonight? Well, I think um, you know, we, we just had multiple breakdowns over the course of the game um, in different capacities defensively. Um, you know, where we were 
helping when we shouldn't have been helping, you know, not recognizing personnel situations, um, just not, not focused on the, the details of what we're trying to do on the defensive end. Um, I thought that obviously showed at the beginning of the game where some of it was transition. Um, you know, but for instance, with math, Matthews gets nine threes, 10 really, cause we fouled him one time. Um, you know, we, we weren't communicating and, and reacting, you know, collectively in a lot of half court situations that, that gave them, gave them looks. And then I thought there was also when they went on the big run, you know, it was some threes where we had breakdowns, you know, where we, we got guys that, uh, we're not supposed to leave and, and we find them getting, you know, getting shots. We're switching on to different guys. And then the, the defensive glass, you know, are um, when we were able to secure defensive rebounds, it gives us a chance to go and run the other way. But, you know, we didn't have, you know, enough enough body to body contact on the glass against an athletic team on the board. So, you know, I thought that the offensive rebounding that they had, you know, at crucial times was also impactful, but it just, we, we weren't, we weren't as locked in or focused on our execution defensively in, in every capacity. And, you know, when you don't shoot that, you know, you don't shoot well, you know, that's, that's going to be the difference. Eric Walden. Quinn, this kind of uh, follows up on that, but they went 22 of 45 from three-point range. Is there like one thing you guys could have done better in terms of guarding you know, them at the at the line tonight, or again, is it a multitude of things? Well, I, I mentioned you know Matthews, um, you know who's you know arguably the, the best shooter on the court at any given time. Um, you know, helping off of him, not knowing where he is. Um, you know, switching on to, you know, Tate and letting uh, Eric Gordon have a look. There, there was, you know, there was a bunch of different situations that, um, you know, they made the shots, but, you know, they were getting clean looks because, you know, we either didn't communicate or, you know, made a mistake as far as what we were trying to do in a given coverage. So, um, and then, you know, on a night, that if you give guys those those kind of looks, um, and they made them. So, you know, what we can do is control the, you know, how open they are and, and whether they're going to get them. And there was a lot of them that, that they shouldn't have been able to, uh, to take if we'd have been locked in and communicating the way we needed to be in, with what we were doing defensively. Sarah Todd. Quinn, when you have those kinds of defensive mistakes happening throughout the night, and then you in the fourth quarter late, you had a few defensive possessions that looked really good, a shot clock violation that you forced. Does that make it more frustrating when you look back and you think, where was this earlier on? Yeah, I just I, I think as a it, it, on the whole, um, you know, collectively we need to have our attention and our focus on the defensive end and when we're thinking about the offensive end and reacting to whether we're missing a shot or getting fouled or um we're not connected on that end you know it's it's something that makes it harder for us um because when our focus is the other way around and our focus is 
squarely on the defense. You know, our offense, for one thing, we get more stops. We can be instinctive in transition. But, um, you know, it's just a, a collective mindset that, that we have to have. Um, everybody from Rudy to Boyan to Royce to Trent, and, you know, Mike, Joe, all of us. It's just a, you know, defense is played collectively. And, you know, that's the situation we found ourselves in tonight where those breakdowns we, we paid for. And, you know, we did get stops. There were times where we didn't get a body on a guy rebounding or didn't rotate down. Everybody's got a job to do. And if you're not focused on doing your job and, you know, nights like tonight, teams can, can make you pay for that. Larson. It's been a long time, Quinn, since you had a, a, your team had a losing spell like this and maybe not kind of in the Mike Conley and Bogey era. And I'm kind of curious, is there what's your kind of approach to the overall losing spell? And, you know, are there things that do you look at it in the same way that you do like a winning streak where it's not about the streak itself and more about the individual games? I, I think, you know, this is this period, you know, depending on how you want to, you know, total it, we... You know, we went to we, we we won a big game in Denver without you know Rudy and Joe, and then we went to Toronto and you know didn't travel some guys, and I thought had an excellent effort. Um, you know, obviously lost to Indiana, lost a tough game at Detroit again with our roster um, being in a different place, and then I thought you know we came back and against Denver and, and played really well. Um, you know, the Cleveland game was an odd game. Uh, so all these games to me are, are unique in some respect. The fact that they're all close together um, creates a streak. Um, but I thought like the other night against the Lakers, I thought we played pretty well defensively. Um, we didn't space and run and execute offensively and that hurt us. And, you know, tonight without Donovan and Hassan, um, you know, I thought defensively we had the ability to really guard this team, and we have before, um, and we didn't execute. So every game's been a little bit different, and you try to take something from every game. Um, but, I, you know, for me, I, I kind of maintain the same overall thought that, you know, I, I want us to be at our best you know, at the right time. And we're clearly not at our best right now or tonight, regardless of, you know, the variety of challenges that each game provides. Um, you know, we haven't played at the level that we want, you know, on both ends of the court. Uh, and that's, you know, that's something for us to own and understand and, you know, not just correct, but improve upon. We're up 13 tonight. So we had that moment again where we, um, you know, we let up and they get a couple threes and call timeout and, you know, they don't stem a, stem a run and we dig in and then we have breakdowns and it just, so it's, there's a, there's a pattern um, of our group losing focus on the things that we need to do to win the game. And when you see that we do have that focus and it, the way it translates, uh, it's just a question of that consistency in our execution, whether that means sprinting to the corner and getting spaced, um, making a quick decision, like all the little things that you have to do on both ends of the court. And, you know, we've seen our team do them. Um, sometimes you do them and, you know, you, you get beat, but um, we've got to do them at a, at a higher level and a higher frequency because there's, you know, we can't, 
continue to miss a block out and a putback and, and you know count on hitting a three on the other end because the game's just not always going to be like that it might be like that occasionally so to a degree if you know we can continue to um, you know be real with ourselves and continue to kind of own the mistakes that, that we're making then then you have an opportunity to correct them and I've seen I've seen this group do that um, consistently you know over time and that's one of the reasons we haven't had you know th th this type of stretch you know I think this is a unique time but um, you know for what it's worth it's you know it needs to be something that we can take and use and build on um, because I know I know that our guys aren't happy about the situation but that you know that that's got to translate in the moment um, to our actions there you go jazz head coach Quinn Snyder let's now move on to the players and hear from Joe Ingles team losing focus on doing the things you need to do to win games how do you guys uh, break out of that pattern do the things that need to be done to win games <laughs> I mean, it's, it probably sounds a bit stupid, but it's obviously, obviously we go into to every game, um, I think very well um, game planned and, and prepared. And um, obviously the coaches do a, or spend a lot of time figuring out what exactly they, they want to do and what, what can work. And for a lot of the time or, or parts of a game, um, probably recently too, not, not just tonight, but we, we've, um, for whatever reason, kind of, we've been good in patches, but obviously bad in patches too. Um, I mean, we've got to we've got to do it for forty eight minutes. I think it's obviously shown recently that um, we're not going to kind of walk in and just win any game by by showing up. And um, a couple games in this patch, we we haven't shot well, and and obviously that's even more of a reason to to lock in defensively and know what the scout is, know what players' tendencies are, whatever that looks like for, for the, the upcoming game. Um, but, but locking in, locking in for, for 48 minutes and um, not getting down or frustrated or whatever, it, it kind of going inwards if we if we get a lead or if we, we are down 10 or up 10. So, um, yeah, obviously frustrating and... Um, uh, like I said, for, for parts of the game, I thought we played really well. Uh, and then for other, obviously other parts, they um, kind of did what they kind of wanted they wanted to do. They moved the ball a little bit. They got some open threes. They ran in transition a little bit. Um, so yeah, we got we've uh, we've we've clearly got some stuff to work on. Sarah Todd. Joe, do you feel like you guys waited too long to block in defensively tonight? Um, I mean, early on, it might have, I don't even know if it seemed like that. I mean, we were obviously helping, Rudy was was helping off Tate and man, that's what we've done. I think every time we've played them since they've had <laughs> Tate on the team anyway. Um, and, and he makes a couple shots. That's obviously what our, in terms of living with some, something, that's what we were going in. Obviously not just letting him have wide open threes, but, but getting out there a little bit, um, messing with him, making him make decisions. Um, like I said, like I said, uh, throughout the whatever other part of the game after those first eight points he had, um, I think it was just in and out. I think those possessions where we were communicating and talking and scrambling and, and it 
felt good out there. Um, and there was other possessions that were, um, I guess, the complete opposite of that. No, no, no talk and. Obviously, as guards staying in front of guys, and then um, the, the scrambling and all that was was obviously a little off because they had um, Matthews made a few, Eric Gordon down the stretch there made a couple. Um, yeah, like I said before, it was just clearly things we need to to, to figure out and get better at, and uh, I don't I don't think it's a time to go kind of inwards and be frustrated with you. everyone's got to obviously look at himself but we've, we've got to figure this out together with our, with our coaching staff and the players and um, and come out on whenever Friday a couple of days time and, and be a lot better than what we what we have been okay last question Tony Jones Joe kind of a two part question um, are there any outside distractions uh, per se um, you know preventing you guys from locking in on the floor and you know what's the frustration level uh of of you guys in the locker room and and personally for you how is that um kind of compared to your time here your overall time here um i mean i don't know what frustrations guys have in their personal lives or anything i don't obviously we're a close team but we're not (laughs) if they've got uh, issues with something that's obviously we there's things we talk about. There's obviously a lot of stuff we talk about basketball-wise. Um, I don't know exactly what you were getting out with that, but um, as a team, it's frustrating with, like I said, just the the the, the little thing, the little breakdowns that obviously, obviously in a game, there's there's going to be breakdowns along the course of a 48-minute game. As a as a team, we want to obviously limit them. Um, play the way we know we can we can play because we've 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 done it a lot. Um, whether that be tonight in patches or full games other nights, whenever that is, we we we've proved we can be a really good team when when we are locked in and, and focused and uh, whatever outside distractions or, or whatever. We like once you. We're, we're lucky that once we do get out there, you, you're almost free. Like you, you get to if you're struggling with something or, or something's going on, the, the the court is usually a lot of guys kind of place to be free and 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 relax and um, enjoy it. Um, obviously, the the enjoyment part is hard at the moment with with the frustration of, of how we've been playing, but. Um, like I said before, the first question or whatever it was, the. The frustration of the team obviously comes basketball-wise, um, break the, the breakdowns, the, the little things, and, and over the course of a game, they, they add up. And um, I think in, in the past, we've done a, a pretty good job of realizing something that's happened in a game, fixing it, and kind of moving to the next play. I think it sometimes it lingers and... Um, sometimes that's good. Like guys can be frustrated if they if they have a breakdown or they um, aren't making shots or whatever it is. But we've we've got to try and get to the next play. And again, we've we've proved obviously to like tonight we, we've proved we're not just going to walk in and, and and win games. We've we've also proved that we can be a really really good team. So um, we'll watch it tomorrow and 
um, yeah, keep keep trying to get better as this season goes on and um, have another crack on, on Friday. There's Joe, 10 points, 5 rebounds, 6 assists. Uh, you can uh, stay tuned here. DJ and PK, Joe Ingles, the Joe Ingles Show, com- coming up a little bit uh, later on this morning. Let's now hear from Boyan Bogdanovich. Boyan, how do you guys go about becoming more consistent in terms of 48 minutes of effort? I mean that's that's cost us the game. We have too many too many black holes, too many up and downs during the game. We gotta we gotta stay consistent in focus, especially on uh, on our defense. No matter how we are playing offensively, because right now I don't see anybody hitting shots. First of all, me. But uh, we show in third quarter when we are playing defense, we we had a, a lot of easy. Easy buckets. That's the way how we gotta play. But we gotta put it together. Like whatever, 48 minutes. We had a great second quarter and then the beginning of the third, and then we just I don't know, kind of kind of black out, and we got away from from our game. There, Todd. Boyan, are you concerned about where the team is right now? I mean, we all have to be. On, on the same page, try to get a, try to get better. I know that it won't be pretty every every single every single game or every single kind of year that we had last year during the regular season. So it's just we got to put it in our head on our head that we gotta we gotta work hard and on, on defensive end and then and, and try to get try to get better. Cole Bagley. How difficult is it to play without Donovan Mitchell? And what things do you guys have to do differently offensively without him? I mean, it's it's difficult, especially against uh, against the teams that they're blacking one to. I mean, that they are switching one to five on the defense. He's the he's the one of he's the best ISO player on our team, and then he's kind of creating of those situations for for all of us. But we show also, like I said, in, in the second quarter and third quarter when we are playing defense we can we can run and, and, and find easy buckets but uh, of course that is not a it's not the same with Donovan or, or without Donovan on the floor. Ryan Miller. Yeah Bogey what's the what's kind of the key to getting out of a stretch like this? Like how do you guys like just kind of regroup together? I mean get to the get to the gym work work on a look look at the film first of all, watch the film to see to see our mistakes and what we are doing bad and then take more responsibility and more pride individually on, on, on defensive end. There's Bogdanovich, 29 points from him last night. Team high, 11 of 27 shooting. Let's wrap things up with Rudy Gobert. Rudy, we've heard uh, several people talk about how there's not enough consistency in terms of effort for 48 minutes during the stretch. How do you guys go about fixing that at this point? Um... I don't know if you if you if can really call him effort. You know, I don't think there's not a guy in his in his team that doesn't you know want to win and and tries to do uh, tries to play hard. You know, as hard as he can. I don't think so. I just I just think that uh, yeah, we were playing great defense in the third, and then uh, I don't know. We it's almost like something shifted and we. You know, we we had a lot of breakdowns. We gave some of the shooters uh, 
like one of them threes like a few times in a row uh i'm talking about matthews and and the other the other the other guy that's a really good three-point shooter and uh, we just brought them back in the game you know and then uh, I mean, it's, it's things that, uh, and like Queen said, you know, it's it's all about ways of focus. What are we thinking about when they have two guys that can shoot the ball on the floor and, and we give three-point shots to those guys? And then, you know, uh, and then as the game goes on, we, we, we raise a lever, we, play, we, we, we compete, we, we try to play defense, but... They, they they feel good, they feel confident, so they, they make the shots that are a little tougher, you know, like the one the ones that they made in the fourth. But if we I think if we take away and we stay focused and every single person that steps on the court uh, is focused on defense and uh, on who we're guarding and, and what we're doing defensively, uh, you know, they don't get that confidence and I think we we're in better shape. Sarah Todd. Rudy, at this point in the season, a lot of times after games, we've talked about the consistency and how you guys maybe wait to compete until you're down or that it's from one game to the next, the consistency is, is, is not there. Is that a problem at this point? Like we've talked about it so much. Is it a problem with this team? I think it's it it's all goes down to what our focus is. You know, to be honest, like some, some nights are tough. Some nights like... Uh, some nights are tougher physically, mentally, you know, like, like for, for all of us, you know, but, 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 uh, we have to, when, when our life is on the line, you know, you focus on what's the most important and when we're tired, uh, what's the most important. And I think right now, um, on every single person is locker room, it should be defense. It should be like, I might not make a shot tonight, but I'm going to do anything I can like, defensively and, and for myself, like it's, you know, it's, it's the same. It's, it's, you know, being, being able to make sure I have my teammates back, you know, and tonight there's a few times when, uh, you know, uh, guys drove to the basket and I wasn't, I wasn't there for them. And, and for me, it's like have, have their back and, and, and then make sure that every single person is locker room is focused on, on defense. And if, you know, if if we're not going to score, like we we're going to always going to score first of all. But if we're not going to score, like it can affect our defense and it can affect our energy. You know, I feel like um, I feel like the, 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 those guys were having more fun than we did. And and I think you know, at the end of the day, uh, yes, it's you know, we, we, there's games that we're supposed to win, obviously. But I think we're going to enjoy the game. We're going to enjoy. Um, you know, just enjoy our job, enjoy what we do, enjoy playing with one another. And uh, yeah, it's it's gonna be nights like this. It's it's all about how we can, you know, understand and, and make sure that it's only an accident when that happens, and we're able to bounce back, you know, and, and keep keep getting better. Andy Larson. Two questions for you, Rudy. One: How worried are you, kind of, about this losing spell? I'm not worried. Uh, I'm not worried at all. It's just obviously we we competitors. I'm a competitor. Like no, but no, no one likes to lose, uh, especially at home. Uh, you know, like I, I'm just happy to be playing. I'm just happy to. You know, I was obviously. I, I think after a little bit of rest, we're gonna be better. But um, yeah, like I said, you know, every night is an opportunity. Tonight we. We had an opportunity to, to we play against a very talented team, you know, and 
and it's the NBA. Like if you know, guys are looking at us, and you know, they're just having fun. If they win in Utah, it's you know, it's uh, it's, it's great for a young team. You know, it's really something to build on for this team. So they're coming in with not much pressure, and and, and they're playing really hard. You know, and they're having fun. And for us, it's like uh, you know, having the same focus on the things that we need to focus that maybe are not as fun which is defense and then offensively you know we move the ball and we it's fun it's fun and you know we, we I thought tonight we did a good job for the most part of the game moving the ball but uh, on defense got to be the focus and it's got to be there every single night regardless of who we play uh, regardless of who's available every single guy that stepped on the court uh, and it always starts with me of course and, and you know I hold myself accountable every single night to, to be the best I can be and, and, and every single guy that steps on the court got to be ready to uh, lock in defensively like, we don't care if you make shots Sorry, uh, and they mentioned fun, right? Like, and why do you think this team isn't having as much fun as it could be right now? And, you know, is that expectations or kind of what, what's going on there? Yeah, I think so. I think so. I think we sometimes, you know, there's expectations. I mean, it's it's human, it's human nature. You know, you, you put sometimes when you, you have expectations, you can put some pressure on yourself. But I think, you know, I think it's, it's on us to really enjoy the game, uh, really have fun regardless of what's going on, you know. Uh, we're playing basketball for a living, so let's let's let's, let's enjoy it, and, and at the same time, let's play let's play some defense. <laughs> but it's uh, yeah, we'll be all right. I'm not worried at all. You know, it's, we want to win every night, obviously, but um, I mean, sometimes it's you need nights like this to 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 yeah to get to get better and and to keep growing. There's Rudy. Uh, 23 points, nine boards, four assists, couple of blocks coming from Rudy Gobert, but uh, the Jazz come up short. They lose 116 to 111 uh, to the Houston Rockets. Next up for the Utah Jazz, they take on the Detroit Pistons coming up tomorrow night here at Vivint Arena. That game will tip off at seven o'clock. Pre-game coverage begins at six. That is the best of the post-game show. When we come back, what is trending? All the headlines on the way. Stay with us.